Welcome back. Um, my name's Jason uh, Sterling. I'm the campus minister. It's my sixth year. I see a lot of new faces. You're welcome. We're glad you're here tonight. Uh, let me just say a couple of words. First of all, let me make a couple of announcements um, that we forgot to make. The bake sale. If you would like to bring and participate in that and help us out, you can sign up to bring cookies, brownies, whatever. Uh, or if you want to help work that, to work the table, you can sign up in the back as well. Um, small groups. You can't possibly work out all the things that we need to work out in this brief time that we have uh, on Monday nights. And so we believe in our ministry that small groups are vital. That is a community where you can connect with other people on a deeper level. Uh, get around the Word, pray together, and just care for one another in a very uh, real and biblical way. So I want to encourage you, if you're not a part of a small group, uh, we would love for you to sign up in the back after this is over. Again, on Winter Conference, um, $55 is a bargain, okay? You're going to have, that includes lodging, that includes meals, great teaching, a fun time, and great seminars on a variety of topics. And so, uh, if you're not busy that weekend, please sign up. It'll be great. We've got lots of people signed up. There's a sheet in the back, and it ends at 40, but we can keep going, so just make more numbers uh, on that sheet, and that'll be great. Uh, who are we? Well, um, we're a ministry of the Word. We believe that this book doesn't just contain words about God, but it contains God's words, and that's why... You don't need to hear from me. We need to hear tonight from God. And so every week at RUF, we stand up and we preach the Bible. This uh, semester, we're going through the book of James. And we're going to go pretty much chapter by chapter, section by section. Uh, and it is a very difficult book. If you've read James, I've been studying it for the last couple of months. And it's pretty in your face. So buckle your seatbelts. Um, we're also a ministry, you know, we believe we're all beggars trying to, you know, lead other beggars and tell them where to find bread. And we believe that bread is found in Jesus Christ. Uh, we don't want to exalt ourselves. This is not about us. It's not about Ethan. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so every week we want to exalt him because he is the one that can help us. He is the only one that can save us, as we just sang, and that can rescue us. Um, and then thirdly, we want to be a gospel-centered community. Uh, no one's got it all together, and so we want you to come here wherever you are, uh, whether you're struggling with even believing the gospel. Uh, we want this to be a place for the convinced and unconvinced, uh, and you are welcome here no matter where you are uh, with Jesus, whether you're struggling uh, with even believing uh, at this point or whether you're doing great. We want this to be a place where you can come um, because we're all fellow strugglers. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to James chapter 1. If you have an outline, it's on the back of your announcement sheet. Oh, one more announcement. This is an exciting announcement. I knew I was forgetting something. We are moving for one week. This is kind of a test run. We have outgrown this room, basically, okay? Um, this, you know, this, and by God's grace, and we're thankful. Well, we are 
by God's grace, going to move to Reed Chapel uh, in the fall for sure, maybe in even the end of this semester. On February the 28th, we are going to have RUF not in here in Reed Chapel. There will be signs, our A-frames that are out, you'll see them. We'll be directing people to Reed Chapel. Come and bring your friends. We want to have, make it a great night. Uh, it should be a fun and a cool time, and we're going to just kind of give it a test run and see how it goes with hopes of moving there permanently, even towards the end of the semester, uh, particularly as we look towards next fall. So uh, that's, that's pretty exciting, so keep that in your minds as we approach that and come out, bring your friends, and we'll have a good time. Uh, if you have an outline, you'll see on the back an outline of tonight's message. We're going to look at one verse, actually. Uh, if you've got turned to the book of James, it's towards the back of your Bible. Joe Novenson is a pastor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, at Lookout Mountain Church. And he tells a story. He grew up in Pennsylvania. And he tells this story, and if you know about Pennsylvania, some of you might be from there, you get a lot of snow uh, over the course of the winter. And he would grow up he and his buddies would sled on this one particular hill uh, in near this elementary school, and that was kind of like their place, their place to go sledding. It was like they were king there, you know. That's, that was their hill. And so uh, one day it had snowed, and he and his buddies had headed out. They had their sleds. They were going to enjoy the snow, and they get there, and guess what? Somebody's on their hill. A group of older boys had come from the outside from another community and they had taken over. Joe Novenson got the tar beat out of him that day. And he remembers taking his sled and carrying it under his arm and walking all the way back home. And when he walked in the front door, he was crying and his father was there and his father noticed that he had been beaten up. And his father asked him, what has happened to you? Well, Joe explains what had happened. And his father said, are those boys still at the elementary school? Well, of course, Joe didn't know. And he looks at Joe and he says, son, get in the car. We're going to the elementary school. And so they get in the car, they go to the elementary school, and guess what? The boys are still there. And Joe's father goes over to the older boy that had beat up his son, and he gets nose to nose with him. And he said, if you pick on my son, you got to fight me. And Joe said, you could just see the older boy cower and wither. Joe, on the other hand, said he could feel his spine starting to strengthen and his shoulders came up tall and he held his head high. Why? His father said, get in the car, face your foe and I will stand with you. This semester in our study of the book of James, Week after week after week, James is going to say the same thing. 
James is going to say to us every week, get in the car, face your foe, face your sin, and Jesus will stand with you. You see, my hope this semester is that when James shows us our sin, and he's going to, that we will know that Jesus is with us and that through Jesus, we can be changed through the power of his spirit. That's my hope as we begin our study and we're going to do that through looking at James chapter 1, verse 1. Follow along with me. This is God's holy word. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, um, you alone are worthy. Your name is to be praised. We want to lift up your name uh, in our ministry. And I pray that you would be lifted up in our hearts tonight. That you would be lifted up in our hearts as we study this book. Father, you are going to show us some hard things about ourselves through the study of the book of James. I pray that we would not be led to despair, but instead we would be led to the cross where we can receive forgiveness, where we can receive hope, where we can be redeemed and changed. Would you do that in Jesus' name? Amen. As we study this book, we're going to start tonight by looking at three questions. Who is James writing to? Who is he discipling? James, you see the title, the disciple maker. He's the ultimate discipler. Who is he discipling? Secondly, who is James? Who is discipling us this semester? And thirdly, what is his discipleship method? So we're going to look at those three things uh, tonight. First, who is James writing to? Look at verse 1. He's writing to the 12 tribes that are scattered among the nations. Simply put, James is writing to Jewish Christians. He is discipling people that know their stuff. He's discipling people that are insiders. He is discipling people, in other words, like you and like me. He's discipling people that know a lot about God but need to live out more effectively what they believe. The whole book of James can be summarized in verse 22 if you have your Bible. James is calling us to live out our faith. And he says it this way. He's calling us to be, you know this verse, you've probably heard it, to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. Over the years, James has kind of been picked on in a sense. He's been picked on as being very practical and not very theological. They say that because this book is filled over and over with practical commands over and over with practical applications and practical living. And people look at that and they compare it to the Apostle Paul 
And if you've read any of the Apostle Paul's letters, you'll know that they start out, like Ephesians, for example, Romans, for example, very theologically heavy. You know, he's talking about who we are in Jesus, the gospel and grace and all that Christ has accomplished for us. And then in every letter almost that Paul writes, we have the middle which says, Therefore, in light of all of those things and what Jesus has done, now go and be holy. Now go and live it out in a practical sort of way. James agrees 100% with the Apostle Paul. James believes that true fruit flows out of the gospel, that true fruit flows out of grace and knowing how much we're loved. James simply assumes all that. James knows that, he believes that, he assumes it and gets right and chooses to, very intentionally, to get right to the practical application of being a Christian. Right to the practical application of having true faith. And so it is dead wrong to say that James is not theological. James is intensely theological. What is theology? Most people think theology is knowing lots about the Christian life in their head, knowing lots of Bible verses and things about God, being the answer man, if you will. But you see, it's one thing to say you're a Christian and to agree with everything the Bible teaches and to know it like the back of your hand. But it's entirely a different thing to actually do it and actually live it out. Your Christianity is not real if it doesn't affect the rest of your life. Your Christianity is not real. Your faith is not active if it doesn't affect the rest of your life. Theology has nothing to do with knowing things about God. Here's the definition of theology. The application of Scripture to all of life. That is theology. The application of this book to every single aspect of your life. So here's what James is saying. This is a summary. True faith in Jesus doesn't leave you the same. True faith in Jesus changes you. True faith in Jesus produces fruit in your life. True faith in Jesus works itself out in the world. James is saying, I'm going to show you how your faith in Jesus is going to impact every single area of your life. That's what James does. He talks about our speech. He talks about how it affects our relationships, our prayer life. He talks about how it affects how we look at others, particularly the poor. James applies it to our life. Most Christians see the gospel, this is the way I grew up, as simply the entryway into the Christian life. I enter into the Christian life, I believe in the gospel, I put it on the shelf, and I get on with my life. The Bible says the gospel is so much more than that. That the gospel actually comes in and changes us. And changes the way we live. The gospel, you'll hear me say this a billion times this semester, because this is what James is saying. The gospel changes everything. James shows us 
that it's not enough to have Jesus in our back pocket. That it's not enough to even believe in him in our heart if it doesn't affect every single area of our life. Look over in chapter 2. Here's what I mean. Chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. He says, If your brother or sister is poorly clothed, if they don't have enough food, and you say to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled, without giving them clothing, without giving them food, look at what he says, what good is that? And he says, so faith by itself, faith that is not working itself out in love, is dead. What's his point? His point is that we can believe in our heads that people need food and that people need clothing. But if we don't give them food and don't give them clothing then we don't really believe it. James is saying that we can know all the answers, that we can know all the theology, we can know about Jesus and not really know Jesus. You see, the bad news is that James this semester is going to show all of us, me included, how little our faith really does impact our life. But you know, the good news is that when we are confronted, when James says, get in the car, face your sin, Jesus is standing with us. The good news is, is that Jesus will meet us this semester as we are confronted with our sin and the same God that gives us faith is the same God that forgives and offers us the grace and the power to change. So who is James discipling this semester through this book? Us. Secondly, who is James? Who is our discipler this semester? Look at verse 1. There are actually four James mentioned in the Bible in the New Testament. So which one is this one? without getting into all the stuff that would bore you to death, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. What do we know about him? Well, thumb through the book of James, and you'll know that he knows his Bible backwards and forwards. That James knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He's quoting it left and right through the book of James, if you were to thumb through it, and you'll see as we go through it this semester. Who is James? He's a man of the Word. He is someone that has studied the Scriptures and the Bible. Secondly, he's a man of prayer. He's known, he was known as James the Just for his immense piety and righteousness. Listen to how one church historian describes James. It's remarkable. He said, James used to enter alone into the temple and be found kneeling and praying for forgiveness for the people, so that his knees grew hard like camels, because he was constantly worshiping God. So from his excessive righteousness, he came to be called James the Just, 
He prayed so much that his knees were hard like camels. He was a man of piety, a man of righteousness, of holiness, of prayer and the word. And he was also a faithful man. James was martyred. The brother of Jesus died for Jesus. But what's interesting uh, is when you hear he was actually thrown from the top of a temple, the pinnacle of a temple, and clubbed to death, history tells us. But here's what's interesting, and as you study the New Testament, it reveals that James didn't always believe in Jesus. He grew up with him, but he didn't always believe in him as his Savior. John 7 tells us, we learn that Jesus was, or James was the peop- among the people that actually denied Jesus. But when Christ came back after his resurrection in that 40 days between his ascension and his resurrection. Guess who he went to talk to? His brother. 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus goes to his brother James. And guess what? James believes. Becomes a Christian. Becomes a leader in the church. Read the book of Acts. And he becomes so much of a leader that he gives his life for Christ. What is the point? Here's the point. James was a sinner, just like you and I, saved by grace, a sinner that has been forgiven, and, but when he believed in Jesus, it changed absolutely everything in his life. So much so that he went from denying Jesus to becoming a faithful follower who was willing to go to his death for his own brother. James was a man of the word. He was a man of prayer and faith, but he was also humble. Look at verse 1 again. James had a lot going for him. He was the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with him, but notice how he describes himself. This blew me away. He doesn't pull rank. He doesn't name drop. He doesn't even mention being related to Jesus. Look at what he says. James, a servant of God in the Lord Jesus. You know what I would have done? I bet you would have too. I got to get that I'm related to Jesus in here somehow. Maybe people will really listen to me. I got a name drop. I mean, I've got a pull rank. No. James is content, and it's remarkable. He's content with grabbing the basin and the towel, just like Jesus in John 13, and stooping low, and he's content with being a servant. He is content with who he is. James the just was also James the humble. So who is James? He's humble. He's faithful. He's a man of prayer and the word, a man of holiness and righteousness. He is a mature Christian, and he is just the kind of person that you and I need discipling us, isn't he? Just the kind of person we need speaking into our lives this semester as we study. And you know what else? I I can't help but... It forces me to ask some hard questions 
about my own life. Maybe it does you as well. Questions like, what do others say about my life? What do they say about your life? What would people say? Would they say you're a person of prayer and of holiness? I mean, think about it. If someone were to write a biography of our life 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, and they wrote about your life, would they say you prayed and worshipped so much that your knees were hard like camels? Or would they say you were prayerless? That you never studied the Word? That you weren't committed to holiness? What would they say about us? Another question is, are we seeking to make ourselves seem important? Are we name droppers, not content with being a servant? As James is so humbly described himself. Who is he discipling? Us. Who was James? Who is our discipler? A very righteous and mature man of God. Thirdly and finally, what is his discipleship method? His discipleship method is pretty strong. His discipleship method is confrontation. That's what it is. This book is filled with James getting in our face. It's been described and actually titled the In Your Face Epistle. You need to know that James is going to get in your business this semester. He's going to get in my business this semester. He's going to meddle. But... I firmly believe, because I believe it's the way Jesus taught, that there is no growth without confrontation. You see, think about your own life. When you've been confronted or rebuked, I guarantee you, you remember it. If somebody's ever rebuked you biblically, if you've had that happen to you, I guarantee you it was a defining moment. Because, see, that's what God often uses to show us our need for him and where we need to be changed. That is what James, that is how he's going to disciple us. And it might not be fun, but it is exactly what we need. It's been said that hard words soften hearts, but soft words harden hearts. You see, James is going to have some hard words, but those hard words are loving words and meant to cause us growth. There was a woman named Jane Riggenbach. She wrote a newspaper column on gardening. And in this one particular article, she writes about transferring plants from a plastic pot into the ground. And she says that at first, she would take the plants and she would very gently take them out of the pot and was very careful not to mess with the roots and to disturb them in any way. She would put them into the ground and plant it. She realized that the plants never grew very well because the roots were all bundled up. And then she changed her method. Then she started taking the pot and beating it 
and squeezing it and banging it against the table. And then you know what she would do? She would take the plant out of the pot and she would put her fingers in the roots and pull down as hard as she could on the roots. And she said, you know what? That was the very best thing that could be done for those plants. Because otherwise... They would never be healthy and they would never grow. Friends, that is exactly what God wants to do in our lives this semester. You see, some of us are very complacent with Jesus. Some of us are very comfortable. And God, through the book of James, is wanting to reach his hand up into the soil of our hearts and pull down on the roots as hard as he can. And yes, some of the roots are going to rip, but it's the very best thing that can be done for our hearts because through that, fruit will be produced, growth will take place, and we will move out into the world in a more healthy way than ever before. You see, we will not grow and cannot grow unless we face the hard truth about ourselves. So I ask you, what areas in your life are you afraid to face? What areas in your life are you afraid to look at tonight? What idols does Jesus want to put his finger on and rip away? You see, the gospel really is good news. Because the gospel allows us to do that. You see what I'm saying? The gospel allows us to face the worst things about ourselves. How so? Because if you believe in Jesus, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you can go before God and you can say, it's all true. And you don't have to be fearful of getting zapped and struck down. Because you're clothed in Jesus. You can admit where you need to be changed and receive grace and forgiveness and the power of the Spirit to change. You see, the reason why we don't like to be confronted, the reason why we struggle with confrontation is because we don't really believe that there's that much comfort in the gospel. We don't believe the good news is often really good news. And here's my prayer this semester is that week after week after week, chapter after chapter after chapter, that when we hear James say, get in the car, we would get in. When we hear James say, face your foe, face your sin, let this point out your brokenness and your need to change, that we would face our sin and our foe. But more than all of that, as we are confronted with our sin, that we would believe that Jesus is standing with us because he is. And because Jesus is standing with us, we can have the courage to face our sin, 